All right, hey guys, and welcome to the Three Drinks In podcast, episode number two hundred and fifty. I'm your host Vince. Over there is your host Phil. Hey, there he is. Uh, sorry about the little hiatus there, but uh, we decided to uh, watch a little bit of a different movie for our two hundred and fiftieth episode, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, starring the irascible Peter O'Toole. Uh, before we get talking about that, I want to ask you to please subscribe to the podcasts wherever you listen, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do. Uh, there's a bunch of services. Uh, if you could please leave us ratings and reviews, we'd really appreciate that. If you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, the handle is at 3 Pod. You can like us on Facebook as well, and you can email us at 3 Podcast at gmail.com. Lastly, don't forget to, to check out our merchandise over at tpublic.com. All right. So I, uh, I'm, I made a wise decision earlier today at the McDonald's. I was, I was, I was having dinner at with my kids tonight. Um, because as you know, this is quite possibly the last farewell tour for the McRib. And I've never had a McRib. Oh, don't tell me you got a McRib. No, no, because I thought, well, <laughs> we watched a three-hour and 45-minute movie. And so I assume our podcast will be, you know, a while, because it's three hours and 45 minutes worth of information to talk about. Better not get a McRib. Like, I didn't want to pop my McRib cherry and then have to sit here and talk about this movie for an hour. Uh, I, I did not foresee any positive outcomes from that scenario. Well, no. What what did it for me was when I walked in, <laughs> I walked in, now everything's a screen. So the menus are screens, and the menu you order it on is a screen. And um, I walk in, and on the the, the, the menu screen above the, the counter, is they're playing you like a... A slow motion uh, video advertising the McRib. Generally, these things they're, they're shot pretty well. Food stylists come in and they gussy up a quarter pounder with cheese and they make it look enticing and edible. and uh, And I like those; those, those are fine. Um, but there really doesn't appear to be anything you can do visually to a McRib to make it appealing to me because it just looks very shiny. It's like Patrick Stewart's head covered in barbecue sauce. It's yeah, and I'm not sure what color that gravy is supposed to be exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's know. not found in nature. Yeah, it's a little, um, it's a little off for some reason. <laughs> it's not quite red. It's not quite burnt sienna. I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, if it can't be a Crayola color, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's some not, sort of lab. It's yeah. not real food then. Um. Yeah, so I just, I just I just got a Big Mac, and, and, and yeah. called it and then called it a day. That's a good call. Uh, this movie was very very long. Yeah. Oh my, oh my god, it's a long movie. Yeah, I mean it <laughs> almost explains our three week hiatus. Is the fact that we were just yeah. two people with young children and new jobs who and wives who didn't want to watch this with us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't even try to even find, ask. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I asked fact, she, she, actually, she looked at me and she was like, when are you taking this DVD, DVD back to the library? I'm sick of looking at it. I was like, all right. <laughs> Just sitting and there my... on the coffee table. You're like, this presence is annoying me. And my son, who kept walking by and staring at it, kept going, towel. And I was like, well, you can't say that. Because <laughs> he's wearing a turban on his head. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Oh. Towel. Yeah, that was funny. Careful, like, son. Careful. Yep. Don't. So, it's a long movie. Yes, it was. And we knew we that going in. Like we're, we're we're trying to figure out what what to watch. So we, I should watch something different. And so you would come up with like a one of these better late than nevers, which we haven't done in a long time, because um, there's been so much good content available as it is. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, this is one of those ones that like you know, people talk about it, but like older people who, and like cinephiles will will say that this is. So I'm like, yeah, all right, give it a shot. My wife did not have any interest in it, mostly because she, she said she's like, I didn't know if this was gonna hold up. Like, she likes older movies to be sure, but she's you know she has a genre that she likes of older films, you know, The Wizard of Oz and Meet Me in St. Louis and you know Mary Poppins, like those kind of light fare movies, musicals, oftentimes are the kind of older films that she enjoys, you know, a three and a three quarter hour biopic um, filmed in 1962 with only men in the movie. It's the, actually, it's the longest movie without a, without a female speaking role in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I they, don't have, they don't have any speaking roles. None. Are they even in the picture? Like I didn't see there's very a, many. There's, there's a, couple a couple of dead ones at the end there. Yeah, there's a couple, but they don't say anything. Yeah. But um. So, so, so what did you think of Lawrence of Arabia? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it's funny to me because so Lawrence T. E. Lawrence lived in England, obviously, and he he died in a town called Dorset where he was living in a motorcycle accident. He crashed on the side of the road. Um, and when I was studying abroad there one summer, uh, we went to his house and we actually like stopped the bus where he crashed his car, his motorcycle. They were like, this is the spot where he died. And I was like, all right, it's just a patch of road. Like it doesn't look like anything. It's a, it's a, it's a turn. I'm like, Oh, he went over the side. Okay. Um, but then we went to his house so you can tour his house. It's like a tourist attraction. And um, he was very, very short. Yes, he was like five five. Yeah, he was he was a hobbit basically. <laughs> and um, you could like I barely fit. I'm six two. I barely fit in the house. Like the house was tailored for him, so his tub was for like an infant, and his bed was up to my hip. It was like so small, and I was like, this guy was like such a big deal. I mean, I didn't know him at the time. Like I was like, why are we at this person's house? It's just a random house on the side of the road. Um, so when you see Peter O'Toole in the role, and he's unbelievably good looking, and he's six two himself, you know, he towers over everybody. Yeah, six um, two one thirty five. Yeah, that's when I was like, okay, so this is not really a, a biopic that's like to be taken literally. You know, I mean, he didn't have to look exactly like him, but 
there wasn't even any attempt at historical accuracy in, in that in that way. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that's all to the good because I thought it was a pretty good movie. You know, Peter O'Toole is pretty good. Um, the story was pretty good. The sweeping vistas of the desert, I thought, were uh, great. Um, you know, it it's crazy long. It has an intermission. <laughs> I know. You know? I, I hit pause. It's like, all right, this this seems like a good spot to stop. And then I came back to it the next day, and I hit play, and like maybe two minutes later, it cut to intermission. Intermission. And a yeah. second overture. Like, yeah, the overtures I thought were stupid, but <laughs> they were confusing because I actually thought that there's, there's, there's something wrong with the video file I was watching. I'm like, there's no, I, what's wrong? I don't see anything. I was like, oh, the image didn't come through because it's, it's like three or four minutes, which is a long time to just listen to music. So and you're, like, you're, like, you're in the dead black in a movie theater. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, I was like, well, where's the where's the picture? And they're like, oh, okay, they're doing a thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, so I, I watched it over two nights and I watched it the first part till the intermission. And I was like, oh, this is a perfect place to stop. And then I picked it up again the next day or whatever and I watched the rest. And um, it, it's, it sticks with you. Like I could remember everything. I didn't need like a previously on, you know, um, which I think is, you know, to the credit of the movie that, that I didn't have to like. And I don't know much about this time period and all these people. So the fact that I could follow it and remember it the next day and be like, I'm, I'm ready to get into this. Let's finish this movie. You know, um, I think it was, I think it was good overall. Um, it's a little dated now, obviously it's pretty old. Um, but yeah, I, I think it still holds up. what do you think? Um, I tend to like, you know, allow for a certain amount of, well, it's an old movie. You know, like I say this a lot, especially about the Bond movies. You know, like, you know, like we're like, we're, we just finished up um, the Timothy Dalton Bonds and now we're going to watch the, you know, the ones that we grew up, although I've seen Goldeneye 4,000 times, so I don't really feel the need to rewatch Goldeneye, but I might. Um, but that's when the, really they begin to feel like, you know, modern movies to me is when you get into the Pierce Brosnan era and like the you know in the 90s when you had a lot of money behind these projects and they better written better acted and certainly the special effects were better but the old you know the, the old ones were kind of hard to look at objectively because they just look so cheap and like not low budget or not, not but just like they they didn't have the skill it seemed to make a compelling visual movie with all they ha- they wanted to do with the gadgets and, and what have you. So I tend to low lowball these older films, but I didn't really have to do that here. Like there were things about it that were certainly dated. The overture was was dated. The length a little bit. People had more patience for these things, and they would go to movies for hours on end. The, the way in which you watched a movie in 1962 was different than you than the way you do it now. And the business model you know, was was very different, but I thought this was fantastic. It's, it's yeah, it's supposed to be. It's Lawrence of Arabia, but like, there's really no reason for it to be this good still. When you you know when you when you think about the t- the, the investment of time that you have to make to it, and the subject matter, and the fact that 
Allegheny's is in brownface, <laughs> and like, there's, yeah, the, I mean, if we're talking about things that don't hold up, <laughs> I think it's I all mean, the white men playing Arabs. It, he's the most prominent of them, but the bulk of the other people in that movie, there were a handful of people who were Arabian who were in the movie, but um, and certainly uh, Omar Sharif was, if I think, Egyptian, I want to say, but uh, yeah. he's certainly a person from that region. And a lot of the extras were members of the Jordanian military at the time. I mean, that's what's so shocking to me. I was like, those guys were clearly actually from that part of the world. <laughs> it was so much obvious when they were standing next to a white guy. <laughs> he looked like... The- John Candy and who's Harry Crumb? Like, <laughs> like he's wearing mud on his face. I was like, oh, this really doesn't look good, but yeah, well, uh, let's roll with it for now. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but it's I mean it's spectacular. The you know the cinematography is unbelievable. The writing of the movie is great. It can be a little. I mean, I, I watched a couple of YouTube videos about the historical inaccuracies, and like, yeah, okay. I mean, the height thing doesn't bother me quite so much because I actually didn't know this was a real person. I knew yeah. zero about this movie, nothing. I knew it was big. I knew it was sweeping. I knew it was, you know, him in his turban in the desert in this amazing shot that's like the cover of the DVD, and yeah. um, his blue eyes. <laughs> oh my god. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I didn't know a single thing about T. E. Lawrence, no clue. So like, which is really the the best way for me to like a movie is to me for, for is for me not to know a single thing about it. If I have any preconceived notions about a movie, it sort of doesn't matter how good it is. I'm probably not going to like it. I like for example that that movie about Ray Kroc, the founder, but with uh, with Michael Keaton. That's a movie about Ray Kroc and about how he swindles the McDonald brothers out of a, a billion dollars by stealing their 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 restaurant and franchising it and you know cutting them out. And the and and the movie is about how he's a, a real son of a bitch and they hated him for it and you know you should you you should all feel guilty for eating at McDonald's. Um, but that isn't remotely true the inverse of that is actually true and that like the two guys sold him the rights to the ideas and the way to run a fast food place for a couple million bucks and he went off and made hundreds of millions but they were like we didn't want to be a part of that this guy was a maniac and we took our money and just retired you know like we didn't hold any, any anything against uh a Ray Kroc and knowing that and knowing that the, that that the movie has an agenda will sour me on it no matter how good Michael Keaton is and he was good in that movie apparently but so this not having any idea of what the hell was going on I was able to just kind of let all that sit in the back of my head unawares and just enjoy it but I thought it was fantastic <laughs> especially there's a couple of like I you know there's, there's the iconic shot with um Ali coming out of the desert. That like when he first meets um, the guy, and you know he, he rides in from like two miles out in that long scene where they're just watching a guy walk towards them. Um, that's amazing. I had a, you know, I kind of had to step back every now and again and look at the scope of it and re- and realize, as you do with a lot of old films, 
like Gone with the Wind has a great shot where you know, at, the, at the end of one of the of the battles, she was running looking for the for the doctor because because the woman in, in the house is pregnant. And they're trying to find a doctor, so she goes and she finds him in this battlefield. She said, "You have to come help me." This you know, someone's you know, this girl's about to ha- ha- have a baby, have a a baby, and the doctor's like, "Look around you! I can't leave these guys. They're all bleeding to death." And like you zoom out, and it's this giant like sort of army hospital spilled out onto a battlefield and it it's a real shot. I just it's amazing. This was that every 10 minutes was this enormous sweeping scene with 500 people in it all riding camels which are notoriously difficult animals to control. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just like I was blown away every time they they did this it was just like this is unbelievable. And like there was a few times that it, the movie kind of dates itself. It's a little overacted at times. Like I like Peter O'Toole for like the small moments in the movie. You know, like the, the scenes when, you know when he goes to the general and he's like crying about how he had to kill a guy, and I really liked it. Like a lot of that's kind of overdone. You know, it's it's a little ham-fisted. But that's I, I thought uh, I thought he was the weakest part of the movie. Yeah, I thought everybody else was acting circles around him, and he's still good. But you know, because he he's he's great in his stillness. When when he's when he's doing less and talking less, he's very effective. And like you know, when he says things in a in a small way, when when he's being dramatic, he's you know he's not as strong of an actor. And that's what that's that was the same thing was true in like Harry Potter. You know, well, the less Peter yeah. O'Toole does. Yeah, he's re- any of that stuff. You know, because he's really, like a lot of them, he's a stage actor. And stage actors and film actors, you know, takes time to learn how to be one. And Alec Guinness could simply just stand there and do nothing, and it was incredibly effective because he knew, I don't have to do anything. I just have to look over there and say this line in this funny accent and walk out of the room, and I've owned that scene, and I'm done. Yeah, he was, I mean... Aside from the, the makeup and costuming, I mean, he he was great, Alec Guinness. He was great in this, and most people really only know him from Star Wars, where he's an old man and he didn't want to be there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah, like Alec Guinness was phoning that in because he didn't like Star Wars. Whereas I, in this I one, know. I was I've like, heard, wow, he's acting. Yeah, I've heard mixed things about that though. I've heard you know that he, yeah, he thought the whole thing was silly, and like, yeah, this is a paycheck, but he still he he, he didn't. He wasn't lazy about it per se, you know. He still had that kind of work ethic to it that brought a lot of um, respectability to that project. But yeah, I mean, there was not much like for this, him. you know, with David right, Lean was, for Christ's sakes. There wasn't much for him to do in Star Wars. Yeah. So, um, but this one here, he really had to to do a lot. You know, there were, those whole scenes were were carried by him. So. Uh, he was very. Yeah, I think he was probably the best. The best one. Although I do enjoy all those like stuffy British admirals <laughs> and, and <laughs> colonels and whatever. <laughs> I say oh, more and so far. I say more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, so it's like wow. They just they just replace one with another, and you can barely tell the difference. <laughs> it's like having a constant British off. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of throat clearing. And the guy. <laughs> so. The guy who played, I can't think of the name of the character, but, um, what's his The guy name? in the suit? The guy in the suit. What the <laughs> hell? I, he's a very famous actor. I'm going yeah. through IMDb right now to, to figure, it's going to hit me like a ton of bricks when I see it. Um, 
oh god, what's his name? He was like uh, an intelligence officer or something. Yeah, he, you know, it, I wasn't exactly sure what he was, what he, his rank or whatever was. I knew what he was there for, but I didn't know what his rank was. He was basically MI five. Claude yeah. Rains. Okay. Yeah, Claude Rains, extremely famous actor. You know, from he 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 plays uh, uh, Louis in Casablanca. Yeah, no, I yeah, I know. like he's, I he's really I, really good. I just... Yeah, he's incredibly famous. Um, but also like that character, like he kind of, as far as I can tell, that's the first time that character appears. What I thought was most interesting about this movie is that it's not; it's a pre. Vietnam War movie about a war where the Western guys are duplicitous sons of bitches and the Arabian guys are the honorable people even if they have, you know, a dysfunctional way of going about government and politics and organization. They're certainly primitive. They're they're portrayed as primitive in terms of that. They're not a unified people. They're, um, you know, sporadic tribes that all that are all, that are all warring with each other. And he's trying to unite to, you know, defeat the Turks and help the British and the French win World War One. Um, but it's very clearly an anti-war movie. At a time when they weren't really making anti. I mean, I guess Korea was happening. So I'm, I'm you know, I I always tend to think of, you know mid to late 20th century history in terms of Vietnam, I forget about the Korean War. Um, and maybe, the, so this could have been a response to that, but it was, it definitely felt like a modern story in the sense that it wasn't glorifying any of this. It was, you know, it was focused on non-white people and their oppression by the British government and, you know, and the French secretly trying to, you know, Take control over their over their land and taking advantage of the fact that they you know they can't get their shit together, and Claude Rains' character is the first one that I'm aware of. Maybe there's other ones. I'm not that much of a cinephile. Where you have the the spy in the room, you know, in all the scenes you have Lawrence, who is your hero, who's trying to do the right thing for the people who actually are living there and doing the fighting. There's the British generals who are removed from the whole thing and kind of giving orders from from afar, but have nefarious plans and, you know, can often hide behind, well, I'm just a soldier following orders kind of a thing. And then there's the the man with, you know, who has all the secrets, played by, you know, the, the guy played by Claude Rains. And you see his character kind of pop up later on. It's in Apocalypse Now. Um, James Earl Jones plays this character in all the Tom Clancy stories where it's the, you know, it's a military operation, but there's always a guy from the CIA who is pulling strings and you don't quite know where his loyalties lie and he never seems to be truthful. And that made it feel very modern to me, in, you know, in that sense and that it's, it, that plus the good writing, um, and the amazing cinematography made this feel like it was made last week. It, you know, like the the acting was the only thing that was kind of over the top, and some of the casting decisions were, wouldn't be made today. But you know, the basic question: Does it hold up? Yeah, of course it holds up. Like it absolutely, you know, more than most movies from this generation that I've seen. It's funny. I 
I think it's more of an anti-imperialism movie. Um, okay, yeah, which gets tied in with war stuff, but yeah, you're well, right. Well, yeah, no, I, you know, it's true. It's just that it's not so much they're fighting because as duplicitous as they are, um, you know, they don't really trust all of the Arabs to do what they want them to do. Only, only Lawrence does that. Um, but so much of it is tied up to like, you know, what they're going to do with the land once they win and like how much they look down on the Arab people while they're there. And I don't know the name of the guy, the other soldier that's there trying to help the Arab people before Lawrence shows up. Colonel Brighton. Right. He's there to like help instruct and train and maneuver the Arab people so that they can help them fight the Turks. And like, he gets all the monologues where he's like, you people are undisciplined. You, you know, you're, you're savage. You, you have no loyalty. You fight for nothing. And by the end of it, when he's, he's not privy to all the plans that they're having where they're going to divvy up the land. So when he finds out what they're going to do and he sees what like Lawrence has been trying to do with the Arab people, like he walks out of all the meeting rooms, like in this stunned face because he's gotten to know them and he still doesn't like them, the Arab people, but he realizes that they are not these backwater primitive morons that everyone in the English empire seems to think they are. Yeah. And he realizes that, you know, I was, I was giving them all a whole lot of crap for being dishonorable and in times that they were, but here we are doing the exact same thing, yeah. you know, promising them this, promising them that, and then letting them hang out to dry because we don't, be we don't believe the, our own BS about trying to educate these people in, in different ways. And I was like, you, know, you could have done a whole movie about this person. You know, Lawrence has a different realization at the end and that like he failed in, in getting them to combine as one people. Whereas this guy, the Colonel was just like, Oh man, you know, we're, we were just as bad, even though we came down here with a sense of superiority over these people and their culture. But, our culture was was not helpful. So. Yeah, it, in a way, you know, they struggle for Lawrence to be a dynamic character. He's really not a dynamic character. He's rather static. And he has abilities that kind of make him almost like a Mary Sue, in a way, that, that, that silly term that's sort of pejoratively used to explain away female characters' abilities in sci-fi movies. But, like, there's a lot to him, which I learned about after the fact, that explain why he was the way he was and why he had such interest and insight into this culture. Because he spent, you know, they kind of make him out to be like, you meet him and he's kind of different from your average British soldier and seems to be, you know, a free spirit and... and, and a nonconformist. Well, it turns out that he was a highly educated person who spent a lot of time in that area before the war was recruited by um, MI6 or whatever they called it back then. The special, you know, the 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 spies of of um, of England, and um, you know, and he's got to you know he he was enmeshed in that culture before this whole thing started. It kind of seemed in the movie that like he just liked them a lot and was willing to listen to them and give them credit and be patient with them and assume that they were capable of doing the things that he wanted them to do. 
but there was no evidence that he that he knew much about them, other than he just seemed to know things about them. Did they was there a bit were they explained, and I missed it. Yeah, uh, no, that so there's no backstory to him to explain like why he's so invested in these people or why he's willing to to stake so much of his of his reputation on them, and he goes to such amazing lengths to help them fight for independence from from him from him essentially yeah so oh let's get into things we don't like <laughs> things i don't like about this movie include um because i was reading all the you know the imdb stuff afterwards where they were they were very intent on making it about him and not so much about like the history and uh, the troop movements and things like that. So some of it was fudged. Characters were, um, you know, condensed, things like that. But I thought that was an enormous missed opportunity. <laughs> um, I was reminded of the, the Lord of the Rings movies. And in the second Lord of the Rings, there's a scene where they're talking about, you know, troops and and what cities they need to be defending and stuff and they have like a big map and you see his hand and it's like his finger he goes i'm pointing to this part we have troops here we need to attack this and i remember them saying like we did that because i mean the, the land is not real so people have no idea who's where in relation to what but it's helpful midway through a nine hour story to understand where everybody's supposed to be and where they're supposed to be going and i thought that was true this movie doesn't have any of that. There's one map. And it's not well like it's not well done. <laughs> it was drawn with like a crayon. It was like a little green arrow and a red arrow. And like, these are the Arab people going from this side. I know. And like it, they don't you don't even get a sense of like where Arabia even is. So yeah. like if you don't know anything about this part of the world or who lives there or where the Turks owned versus like what the British owned and everything, because this is during World War One. So most people always just picture trenches. You know, this is in a different, completely different part of the of the field at that point. You know, and they did it a few times. Where like we have to cross this desert. Oh, no one's ever crossed that desert before. And I'm sitting here going, "Have they? Is it big? Is it just full of sand? I mean, I don't. How are these people living here if they don't, you know, have water? They never at once explain like this is where we are." This is where they are. And this is the parts that we need to get to. I mean, they do it enough that you can understand, okay, this is important for some reason. But, you know, they're blowing up railroad lines and stuff. I'm like, all right, was that an important railroad line or did it, did it make a difference? They didn't want to spend any time doing that. They didn't want to talk about the politics and things of that, of that nature. Um, but especially now, it's been, you know, 60 years later. I mean, World War I was 100 years ago. You know, I don't know that stuff. A little bit of context would really help. Yeah, I I found myself actively like looking on Google Maps, like, dude, you know, does does the city of Aqaba still exist? Yes, it does. And like, you know, I know that that Damascus is in Jordan, and you know, but there there I mean, is a. I mean, Arabia you know, is not a place. Yeah, it, it's several countries made up of this area. You know, like. Yeah, that's the other thing I was looking at too. Like, what does it mean to be an Arab? And I think the only thing it means to be an Arab is to speak Arabic. Like, Arabia basically 
is the Arabian Peninsula, Egypt, and a good portion of just North Africa is technically Arabia. It's where all these tribes live. Now, if you're listening to this and I'm getting it wrong, I'm sorry. I did a very cursory, you know, Wikipedia search a week ago, so I'm forgetting things. I'm sure, but that's my point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we don't know. We don't know anything. And what what I found it, found interesting is like somebody somewhere said, I read this about, about like you know what's the most important thing that's happened in in the last hundred years, and you know everyone goes oh World War One or World War Two or the assassination of this person that person, and somebody. It might have been Charles Krauthammer who was just like, you know, it was, you know, the formation of the House of Saud and their ability to, because these people who you see fighting in this movie try to, you know, the Saudis were not there. They were a different tribe somewhere else that didn't get involved in any of this. And because they didn't get involved, they, you know, maintained their strength and took over the entire or most of the Arabian uh, Peninsula and have built, you know, this giant country that swallowed up Mecca and Medina and runs on, you know, is is, is basically an empire of oil and blood. (laughs) And it's a horrible, horrible place where they do, where they do horrible, horrible things. Um, And, that people don't realize that like Saudi Arabia is is named for a guy. It's just that's it's his Arabia, you know. And it you're right. The geography of this area is sort of confusing, and it's vast. It includes Egypt and places that now are you know countries that exist that didn't exist back then. I still don't feel like I know a great deal about. The various countries in the Middle East and how they were developed. I know a little bit about about Israel and less about Jordan and Lebanon and a bunch of other places. And it's it's extremely complex. It's changed dramatically in the time that that the that, that the film takes place in. So you're right. Yeah, like some a primer on some of these things wouldn't have gone amiss. Right. I mean. It, they just do enough so you know what's important. You know, the tribes don't get along. They hate each other. Um, and, and like, all of that political stuff at the end, I had to look up as well. And then, like, the British and the French split up all these territories with little regard to who lived there. That's why the tribes got all, you know, partitioned in odd, awkward ways. People got, you know, rewarded with extra land. That stuff's okay. Like you don't have to go into all of that, you know, because we can get the we get the gist that the tribes don't get along. For they have ancient grudges, or you know, like they, they can't even get the city up and running after a week or two. Well, then the British were just like not helping them, so they just let it fall apart. But you're right; I had no idea where anybody was in relation to anything else. They they've spent more time. They said they wanted to spend more time on Lawrence. It's his story. But you're right; they don't spend a lot of time explaining why he wants to be there and they just do enough where it's subtle like i'm not knocking his arc of him thinking that he can go there help everybody he gets successful at it he takes it too far into his own head to the point where he thinks he can do anything 
and he gets humbled right away. And then at the end, he, he manages to only bring them together briefly and then they fall apart. That's all done very well. It's, it's played subtly and you can understand if you're paying attention, which you should have been because it's a good movie. But why he's there in the first place, why he loves that land, that never comes across. And they make fun of him for it, which drew which draws attention to that. Alec yeah. Guinness's character is like, why are you here? I like this place. He goes, are you, he says like, are you one of these people who like has this romantic view of the desert? And he goes, no, I'm not. And he goes, yes, you are. Do you know what? We also hate the desert. It's horrible. We prefer to be where there's water and trees. Like, don't be like one of those people. And Lawrence is like, oh no, no, of course not. But, but he is like, he says like at one point he says, I prefer the desert. I like it here. My country's full of fat people. Yeah, and he, you know, he says it's clean, which is yeah. ironic because he's yeah, everyone in, in the film is filthy all the time, right? Yeah, I, I, I guess I just, I wonder if so. Like in, in one in one of the ways, I think this movie would have been different had it been made today, is you would have there would have been an origin story, and we don't get that. We kind of come to him in the middle of his story but it's just not clear that there was a beginning and you know if if this had been a modern movie you'd you know like i just what i what i rewatched the other day because it was kind of it was really bad the recruit starring colin farrell and al pacino and so, like, I had nothing better to do. I'm like, oh, I remember this being kind of stupid, but like, I like, I'm watching it. I had a buddy in in college who said to me that the only there were two movies um, that were actually good representations of what it's like in the intelligence business in the U.S. His 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 mother worked for the CIA, and his dad worked for the State Department, and they were both basically spies. And he lived in China during uh, Tiananmen Square, and he'd been all, he'd been all over the world with them. And he said that the only two movies that were good at you know portraying the life of a of a CIA agent were the really bad movie with uh, with Ryan Ryan Philippe called Breach, and Spy Game uh, with with Redford and um, Brad Pitt, which I think is a great movie. Um, but I'm I'm watching this really bad movie. He's like, you know, I, like I'm always curious. How did this one screw it up again? Why was it so bad? Oh, that's why. Because it was really like it just was dumb. Um, but it was about a person being recruited by the CIA, and how he, you know, develops whatever and learns this and that, and I just. That was what. That's what. It, that's what this would have been about. This would have been about like Lawrence being approached by the British government to say, "Hey, you're an Oxford student and an archaeologist, and you've been traveling through Jordan and various parts of the Middle East. You've you seem to really know a lot about these these Arab guys here. How'd you like to help us out and give us information on this and that? And in the process of working for the British government." to further their interests he comes to really you know love and appreciate the culture of of the um of the arabs uh 
and then the story can take off as it is. Like after that, you can just kind of do it, you know, whatever you need to. But that piece in the beginning is pretty crucial, you know. And instead, the the movie opens with his death, which I guess is interesting because I guess what they're trying to, what the movie's ultimately trying to talk about is, you know. He was made out to be a hero by the journalist guy who is only in it to get the U.S. into the war because he feels that, you know, the U.S. is just sitting on its hands while the rest of the world is fighting. And the idea of there there being controversy between the real Lawrence and the Lawrence in the papers versus, you know, know, who who the British think uh, Lawrence was. So everyone has a different point of view on the guy, and his funeral is sort of the ideal place for that to, I guess, for that to be discussed, like, and put that in the audience's head, like, this is a controversial figure who had many different facets to him. But I don't think that would be as strong as, like, a young guy, idealistic, gets in over his head, goes from being mild-mannered, you know, Oxford student and archaeologist to practically a warlord. (laughs) Like, that's kind of a pretty big arc. And as it is, he doesn't really have a very strong arc, especially compared to Colonel Brighton, who, yeah, you meet him in the beginning, and he has a very strong opinion about why these guys suck, and they don't listen to him, and they just think they can run around with their swords and camels, and they can defend themselves against planes. And then by the end, he's both frustrated with the Arabs, but also embarrassed and disappointed by the British. Yeah, well... I don't think you need the origin, but because like it, it's a good place to start where like he's this like the bumbling guy that they like, well, he might be good here because he like he knows the Arab, he knows the Quran, he knows all that stuff. So send him. And then it turns out that he cares about them more than the British do. But they but even when they ask him like a thousand times throughout the movie, like, why are you doing this? Like the Arab people always ask him that. And he says, I, I, I it's the right thing to do. Because they keep asking for like guns, they want heavy artillery. They're they're supposed to be more backward militarily, and that's why they keep uh, you know losing. And they're like, "Why are we doing this? Is this for the British?" And he always says no, and they don't really believe him because they're helping the British. <laughs> you know, his orders are to take cities back and mess up the Turks' battle plans. And they go, "Why should we do this?" And he goes, "For you." And they go, but we don't have any say or, or, you know, we don't get anything out of this because it's not our, it won't be our country. We still are militarily backward compared to the British. And he goes, no, no, it's not for the British. It's for you. He probably should have elaborated on that <laughs> <You know? laughs> because they don't believe him. It doesn't, it doesn't sound real to them. Like he never once sat down and said, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to become one group work together like he's not forthcoming with that information so when it blows up in his face at the end of the movie and he's trying to get the city on its feet they've, they've taken the city you know he's shown that they can do things militarily if they work together but they can't come together as a society there's no water this is on fire these people are sick and he says then you have to carry the water if it won't pump you have to do this and they all just look at him and go no and they leave <laughs> yeah you know because he I, I, you're supposed to get the idea that their differences are so deep that he couldn't bridge those gaps, which is true. 
but also it like you kind of look at them like but you didn't try that hard you didn't explain this to them and it's just it's just it's supposed to be complicated which makes it really interesting but at the same time you kind of slap your head like ah come on (laughs) yeah and like you idiot they the the vague points of his character have a lot to do with whether he you know when he's doing things selflessly and when he's doing things because he has a god complex like that part is not always so clear it's also not it's it's also not clear who everybody is all the time like they talk about numbers he attacks the city with only so many people he you know that number dwindles over time and you know at, by the end of it when, when, you know when he goes back before making one final push with them um they say they're, they're down to like 50 people or whatever like you don't get a sense of the scope of the band he's leading even though you do have all these wonderful scenes where you see all the people you know, running into battle, you there's, there there should be a more accurate head count. Well, unfortunately, the battle scenes are not very good, and they're kind of not meant to be. They're sort of you just kind of right. through, and they're chaotic, and you know yeah, they're they're really designed to, to be. be. Yeah, it's again, it's not really a war movie. It's not supposed to be. You know that it's just they only were able to be successful in that they attack certain targets in a certain way or did so very quickly and by surprise. So you're right. They're not great. but And also the other thing, I, too, I, I, I really wondered at this and I was hoping somebody would tell me it, but they, I never felt satisfied. The final battle when they take Damascus, he shows up with a bunch of people wearing very colorful robes and the folks that he's been hanging out with up to that point are like disgusted by that. Like, you know, there's the scene with Colonel Brighton where he says, oh, I can, or Allenby, he says, I, I can, and it was a really bad acting moment where he's like, you know, Allenby is trying to get him to go back out there when he, when he wants to go back to England. And, you know, he says, you know, he, he kind of has this moment where he's like, you know what, I can get them to do this. And he sort of, his whole body changes and his, you know, you see him putting on the, like, like the, the big ego mask and. He's going to go back there. And then he shows up in the desert to fight the battle with a bunch of guys you've never seen before. And Sharif Ali, he's like, what you call these guys? They're, they're, they're no good. They're, they're only in it for the money or whatever. And I thought we were in this for freedom or what have you. And I'm like, okay, fine. But who are they? And like, why are like, there was, there was Ali and what's the other guy's name? Um, uh, Auda. Auda was was you know the the two basic yeah, um, yeah, tribes yeah. were that 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 were fighting with each other. Auda and Ali, and then, then this third guy shows up, and they don't like him. Like, well, then who is this guy? So it just I, I always wanted that explained more. Like that was like the really bad tribe that nobody really liked. <laughs> who was that? Yeah, guy? like that was the idea that like. Even between the tribes, there was there were others that they would, wouldn't like or trust, and like these guys were literally only in it for the money. And uh, Lawrence knows that. Like he tells the British Journal, "I need all the money that you have." <laughs> and the guy shrugs and goes, "I'll give you everything you need. Like just make it happen because 
money is replaceable and British people are not. So, you know, throw every Arab at them if you have to. Like, it's supposed to be a cynical thing on the on the British guy's part. Sure, yeah, yeah, that, that was yeah. clear. But I just didn't know, like, it was a whole, you know, mess of characters who show up. And I guess it's clear enough that no one likes them and that they're greedy. But the intricacies of some of their politics, it would have been nice to have some of it explained, you know, more so than, you know, black hat, white hat, which, in fact, it was most of the time, literally black hat and white or black turban and white turban. Yeah, I think you have to sort of you have to sort of rely on your own um, stereotypical bias of them, <laughs> Yeah, which which is I don't know if that was on purpose or they were just like being lazy about it, but they were like, you know, the Arabs, you know how they hate each other. And they only care about themselves and they're it's true so just go with it like <laughs> you know like at the end when they're all they're all leaving damascus because they don't want to stay and they're like looting the place and, and they have an argument those two arab guys have an argument about being politicians yeah. like they look down on that like look at you you know cutting deals and this and that and you know as the viewer you're supposed to sit there and go that's right they're, they're supposed to be backwards and and stuck in the past and and sticking to tribal loyalties and I was like, oh, I guess uh, it's a long enough movie, so I don't want to spend another three hours talking about this. But you know, they're they're letting you put your own biases to fill in the blanks. Yeah, no, that's 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 probably that's true. But I mean, again, these things are not they're not minor things. Like they did, but I think they're a function of. Some of the age of the film, like we you know, we don't need to give him too much of a backstory. We we don't have to explain too much. It's it's enough if we just say, you know, he's really into these Arab guys, and you know that's it can be a little two dimensional. It's not that much of a of a deal because he has he's given such such dramatic moments, and you know most of the work is done by the cinematography in the film. It's just it's just shot so expansively and. You know, I think the lens they used to film Ali coming out of the Mirage was like a 480 millimeter lens. It was this giant thing. They sh- they they shot the scene. He came in from like a like a mile and a half away on a camel. Yeah, that's a good and, scene. Yeah, that's no, great. It's just so it was also it was also just awfully noticeable how all the desert scenes were shot during the day, and they just dimmed the camera. <laughs> yeah, they did that a lot. <laughs> so, Everybody still had their shadows. I'm like, do they have their shadows at night? Well, they said like they, they, they couldn't film at night. It was just too dark. It was so they, they filmed black. them all. Yeah, so they filmed them all in the daytime and they just tinted the cameras. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. I mean, that's just you know, we, what are you gonna go truck out? Uh, you know, lights out there. There's no power. Yeah. You're in the middle of you're in the middle of the desert. You know, it's not like they're on a soundstage. Um. I did have to watch it with subtitles though a lot of the time. Oh, really? I do I do feel like, you know, a lot of these these old movies they they didn't have 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 ADR back then. Mm. So you you know, you kind of can't hear it's not, you know, the sound isn't really perfect by any means, but um and so I you know, the accent sometimes and Peter O'Toole is so quiet. <laughs> yeah. Know? But um, I I heard an, an an interesting tidbit that Steven Spielberg had done the uh, 
like the remastering of the uh, of the 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 original print and they put it on digital and and apparently he showed it to David Lean who was so enthusiastic about watching the movie with Steven Spielberg that he just did a director's commentary for Steven Spielberg as they watched the movie. I'm like, he's like, I couldn't believe it. It was great. I got to spend four hours with David Lean as he explained how he made Lawrence of Arabia. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good time, Steven. <laughs> Almost wish he'd brought like a microphone in there. We could have listened to him talk about it. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have mind of hearing that. It's kind of a big deal. Fascinating. but um, I, I think the last thing I would say is that it is too long. Which <laughs> <laughs> seems silly, but it, especially I think the first part, especially before the intermission, is is too long. The the scenes of the desert are great, but they just go on and on. Yeah, nothing you know? in there was 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 superfluous. It just could have been trimmed a little bit here and there. You just could have trimmed it a little, you know. There, there were it was odd which scenes went on, you know. Like I remember when they they blew up the Turkish train, and all the Turkish guys got killed, and um, that's the moment where he feels that he is invincible at that point, you know, like he, cause he gets shot by a Turkish soldier and the, the soldier misses him and, and just grazes his arm, you know? And as he stands there, like he just stands there and lets the kid fire at him some more. And the kid is wounded already. So he can't hit him. And like the bullets go like around him, like on a cartoon, you know? And even that scene I thought was too long because they were just, all these shots of all the looting that the guys were doing and, and dragging things out. And I was like, the important part of this scene is that Lawrence now feels that he's invincible, but it gets swallowed up by all this other stuff that's happening that the impact of the scene gets a little muddled. Yeah. And a lot of the scenes are like that. Like when they're in the desert and they're, they're crossing this giant expanse and they're hoping to sneak up on the city by crossing the desert so it's like a sneak attack and you know the guys are falling off the camels and and they're trying not to to drink that much and you know lawrence insists on shaving his face and using water to shave his face even though they might you know die of dehydration in the (laughs) desert and i had almost completely forgotten about that scene that's an important part of his characterization but it gets lost because that scene in the desert is an hour (laughs) You know, so like when they start falling off the camels, you're like, oh man, they might not make it. But then there's 15 more minutes of them just wandering through the desert. I'm like, oh, maybe it's not important. I don't know how big this desert is. So like it just needed to be trimmed. It would still be a long movie, (laughs) (laughs) but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be necessary to have it be in two parts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I was reading where they were like for, for TV and, and, for the movie theaters after it was released and stuff, they started trimming things. And apparently they trimmed like giant scenes that were really important. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's silly. <laughs> that's not what you I know. <laughs> that's not what I meant. There, there are just scenes that, that add flavor to it. It reminded me of like the Lord of the Rings again with, with the extra bonus stuff when they like did it on DVD and yeah. they had extra scenes. Those scenes are great. They make the movie fun and exciting. They clearly weren't necessary, 
because they the ones that were in the theaters were just as just as good you know mm. they were just a little extra spice in your in your dish so the same with this i was like they could have they could have limited this a little bit yeah but that's just me what do i know no it's, it's i think i think that's spot on yeah yeah you know, just a different way of making movies back then and also like you know they they wanted to cover so much it's a long story it it didn't feel like it was dragging no, I never. Like, and you're right. Like I remember going into it the second day and being like, "Yeah, I like I don't need a refresher. I know what's going on. I'm excited to get back into it." Um, yeah, like I'm not mad. I have to keep going. Very compelling, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and, and, and as bad as not bad, as rough as O'Toole was compared to some of the other actors, there are still amazing scenes. Like when he shows up at the at the officer's hotel, and he's covered in dirt with the like the urchin boy who's been his like you know like they they. He 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 loses one servant on the way, and he's like, "Oh yeah, bring me lemonade." Yeah, <laughs> we've taken Agaba. Not like it just that's that there's great scenes like that, you know. Yeah, and even that kid, because like they like show up in like the back of a truck. <laughs> yeah, and like they're asleep because of course they are. And as like the truck comes to a stop and they wake them up, the kid jumps up screaming the dead guy's name. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's a nice little touch." They're still haunted by that, you know. It's it's good writing. Yeah, it, it's it's an extremely well written movie. The, the the writing of it feels, you know, very. It's very clear. It's very it's modern. It's not like awkward and stilted. It's still you know like the sometimes the performances don't do the writing justice, you know, and that, and like you usually it's the the, the the other way around. The writing doesn't help. Doesn't serve the actor quite so well. But here it was just like, eh, he's not so great in this this scene but the writing is actually good mm. just kind of over you know it's just chewing the scenery a bit so, so definitely holds up if you got a, a two weeks you should watch it. <laughs> if, if, if it's spared two weeks you should definitely give this one a one a look mm. uh yeah so all right uh well if you guys have any thoughts about lawrence of arabia that you want to share um you should definitely let us know on Twitter, I guess while you still can, before Elon Musk shuts it down or charges all all, all of us to use it. Um, we are at Three Drinks in Pod there and on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can email us at three drinks in podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave ratings and reviews, buy t shirts at tpublic.com. I think that's everything. I think that's it. All right. As always, please drink responsibly. We'll talk to you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye.